Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates and whether 8% rates will bring down home prices. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what resources does UWM have available for people who are looking to join the Wholesale Channel? We have a lot of great resources that are available. In fact, we have a a large size team solely dedicated to getting mortgage brokers into the industry. So whether it's starting your own brokerage, joining an existing brokerage, converting from a retail loan officer over to a wholesale loan officer, we have a whole host of things available. Um, There's We have teams that are dedicated to support even afterwards that will help with things like compliance and licensing, all that fun stuff, as well as marketing strategies and helping brokers with training. So we are really, really really well-versed on uh, getting people into the wholesale channel and a great place to start. And we have a great website, beingmortgagebroker.com with a lot of information on how to get started. So many options. Thanks, Melinda. And listeners, find out more, as she said, at beamortgagebroker.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is great to have you on. We are now sitting at officially 8% rates. Um, Would love to talk about that with you, but also talk about what home prices do given that rates are, have gotten so high. So let, let's talk about that. What do you want to ta- uh, tackle first? You know, whenever uh, mortgage rates go up or down a percent, you know, four to five million home buyers either are able to qualify or not qualify. And I think uh, since the bottom of uh, 2021, when rates were the lowest, uh, I think 56% of home potential home buyers in America uh, uh, cannot afford to buy a house in this marketplace. So whenever rates go up, uh, it, that buyer pool comes down. And then you're just basically working off of the supply and demand equilibrium. So last year was to me like the the craziest year you'll ever see in housing. It was almost like a Shakespeare play, four different stages. But uh, what we've seen this year is housing was stable when mortgage rates were six to seven percent. wasn't anything gangbusters, but uh, stable. Now we have to really focus on the weekly data more than ever. Cause I mean, it's been what, since the year 2000, since we've had 8% mortgage rates, but in, in reality, it's not just mortgage rates. We just came off of 40% home price increases in a, in a very short amount of time. So to me, it's always the total housing cost that matters, uh, more than anything. And the one variable just went up another percent. Uh, and that should that should create what we always want to track on the weekly data. Inventory increasing because of higher rates. It takes longer to sell a house. Price cut percentages should increase as demand weakens. Now, the existing home sales report yesterday, for the first time, we were able to break under 4 million. The sales held up actually a lot better than I thought it would, but we're still under 4 million. Again, it's really rare. 
in America to uh, to trend under four million. But that's how much demand has fallen, and as rates keep on increasing, the, we don't ha- rates are simply too high to grow sales. So that's that's what we're, we're going to really focus on on the next few weeks because now we we're going to have to focus on data with an eight percent mortgage rate and see how fast the price cut percentages increase because uh, up until this last week uh price cut percentages were about 4% below last year even though the total housing cost is actually higher now we haven't seen an escalation in price cuts and i think that's the thing we track always because when we see housing data break on the weekly data uh it'll it'll be too long before the other data lines will capture it because it's, uh, the sales data are are just simply too old and that's why we always believe in tracking forward-looking data. And this is a material change, not just because of the 8% number, but we went from 7 to 8% uh, in a time where home prices are still rising. So the total housing costs gets impacted. You have less buyers in the pool. And what does the data show? And that's going to be the more interesting aspect going out uh, the last uh, few weeks of the year. This has been one of the really interesting parts of this Um, housing market and unique parts is that typically when you have rates going up, you would have some, you know, moderation in home prices rising and that just hasn't happened. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Do you think there's also just like a psychological thing to where people are like, you know, with these high rates, I can't, you know, I'm going to price my house differently. Humans always have quirky psychological levels. Um, you know, is 8% much different than 7.75%? No, but 8% might make a buyer go, hey, listen, I want a deal. You know, uh, uh, rates are higher now. I think that definitely works. I think if you're a buyer in this market, you're going to say, hey, listen, I, uh, I'm not, I don't want to pay full price. You start giving lower offers into the case. Um, but to me, the the weekly demand really tells you the story. And when rates started to get above 7%, we noticed uh, that you know we're having more negative weekly purchase application data prints than positive. But here's the, here's the interesting dynamic. We're at such low levels of sales that we're dealing with a different kind of home buyer anyway, because we've killed the marginal home buyer. I mean, they're off the grid. Uh, they're not coming back until rates fall. So that buyer is out. But what we have now is the kind of the buyers that are still willing to uh, uh, pay uh, for prices and rates this high. And what should occur, and I'm telling you, Sarah, I'm still batting a zero. Uh, what I thought would occur with rates getting above seven is that we would have weekly active inventory growth between 11 to 17,000 and the slope of the curve should pick up. Now, of course, we're the last, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about 9,000 in the last week, but Higher rates should just create more inventory because the day's on market. But here's the the other variable about why isn't this happening is just because total active listings are still low and new listings data are still trending at the lowest level. So that has countered this and we're not working off of the lowest base ever. And I think that that was the story of 2022. The inventory growth on the weekly data was so much faster because we're working from the lowest levels ever. Now, you know, from a higher base, the slope is just slower. So I'm by the time this podcast comes out on Monday, I will see if I'm right for the first time all year or wrong, as I've been all year long, the slope of the curve is is slower than than I would imagine with higher rates. Yeah. So this is this is the inventory part of the story has been a driver all year long, right? Which definitely goes with rates. But 
Um, you and I were just at the Alabama Association of Realtors. They had a, um, a conference that you presented on. And anytime you bring out that inventory chart where you've drawn a line from, um, you know, like where we've been and where we're going, it's, it's so shocking to see the low levels of inventory. Sarah, do you realize now why I have to draw that line? I do. Because it's like so apparent that, you know, and I think what, it, what, what, it, what people would just naturally imagine is that they're, they're trained to believe that inventory can escalate when you have normal credit channels. And that would mean that you have a lot of buyers in the mix who all of a sudden couldn't afford a house, right? Uh, and some of that occurred last year where, you know, people are just trying to sell their homes and all of a sudden mortgage rates kept on jumping 2% here or there. So it, it, it's different. It's, it's, um, but the, the, the laws of supply and demand equilibrium still work, right? I mean, home prices were falling last year in the second half of 2022, even with total active inventory low, even with monthly supply low. What I believe would occur now is monthly supply should be growing. Um, it's not growing fast, but it should be growing just because of the days on marketers, you know, it's still, still below 30 days, but over time, things take longer to sell. And then if you really want to sell your house, you cut prices or you give more sellers credit. You know, the builders are really efficient in doing this. Existing home sellers, not so much. Um, but again, because total days on market are still low and active listings are low, they don't feel the pressure to do this. So it, it for me, it'll it's going to be more interesting what happens as long as rates stay up here what does it do to the inventory levels? Because it should increase, right? The price cuts should increase. The inventory should increase. That's how we always look at higher rates. But uh, uh, you need to see a little bit more confirmation now that we're up here. And the next few weeks will be more interesting. I know the seasonality factor of inventory is is, is kicking in here, but uh, some of those some of the simple laws should still always apply because we always have sellers and buyers uh, uh, every month. And, you know, maybe the last week of... Christmas and the first week of January, not so much, uh, not much activity there. But in any case, you know, we, we still have, we're still going to have thousands of people list their homes this week to sell. We still have buyers in the pool. We still have people fighting for contracts. So uh, the, the data line gets so much more interesting now that rates are up here with prices up here as well. So another complication in this whole scenario is what we're seeing with the buyer broker commission lawsuits. So we are going to have um, housing wire is going to have people on the ground in Kansas City covering that trial. Um, we've been doing daily coverage already, but we're going to be there in person because this has huge implications. And one of the things that when we were at this realtor event, they were talking about is like, how does that if if the buyer does indeed if they're going to have to pay the commission for their agent. Um, you know, there's lots of things there. They might be able to negotiate a lower rate. They might be able to do some things, but also the seller might go, you know, might have to then reduce the price so that what they have to come up with at closing is is less. Do you see that being a, a, a big factor here? You know, I think we're going to need at least three to six months after everyone is kind of on the same page to see how this works. I remember when TRID first came out, it was a disaster the first like 30 45 days you know in fact it was such a disaster that we had we had home sales fall noticeably month to month just because things took longer to close so everything kind of closed in the next month because uh, nobody quite understood how trid was going to work and there were so many uh, uh mishaps toward the end of closing 
I think in the, in this case, it's we have to wait and we we need to see what the data actually shows us uh, on how this is going to be approached on the on the realtor side and how is the lender going to approach this as well and what does the buyer seller uh, mechanism of pricing to go right now because now you're asking a buyer now to additionally pay more for a house where you're asking a seller now is going to you know uh, have more equity and that seller in a sense becomes a buyer in the next transaction and they have a little bit more money so there's you you need time here uh, um, and eventually over over a certain me- period of time uh, things tend to work out people try to find a way to make it work for all parties and then we could take it there but i think we're still in that unknown stage uh, um, and when the unknown stage is, nobody's quite ready to know what to do, uh, especially maybe on the lender broker side. And it's just, we, we have to have a clear set of rules. If we don't have a clear set of rules, then nobody knows exactly what to do. But once that's in, then we get to see how that works out. Uh, but again, this is another housing inflation story. In a sense, you're now asking buyers to bring in more uh um to the to the to the to the mix and uh that's uh we'll see how that impacts uh how the purchasing uh goes in the future is there a, a metric you look at or is there some correlation where you can say you know so rising rates rates at 8% should have uh x effect on the home prices like do you do you expect to see like when you say you know will will it affect home prices is there a correlation you can make based on the on the rate I'm never I'm never a fan of doing standard rate sales price models just because it really depends on where the inventory situation is and what are the buyers in the pool mix. I think I think if I would have gathered so many people on December 15th last year, which was Logan's day by the way, um and I told everybody if I told everybody mortgage rates would be 7 to 8%, you know, in 2023. I'm pretty sure everybody would have said home prices would be down 11 to 13%. And then I would ask them, well, what's your model on that? And they would go, I just guess. And I go, okay, that's what everyone does. Everyone's guessing, right? We're already seeing people randomly throw up percentages. By the way, I love the random throw up of percentages that people do because it's either 10, it's either 15, or it's 20. Like, I just like these round numbers. You know, and I was just, you know, last year when I talked about, you know, you know, home prices in America can fall. If demand gets weaker, stays weaker, we could get to that 5.9 to 7.4%. We're just taking the trend of sales off of the normal uh, seasonality, strong point weakness. And you can kind of calculate something to that matter. People just make up stuff. Like I'm watching, it's like a Wall Street firm. So maybe it's 5% decline next year. So nobody really knows the best way to look at this is look at live weekly current data and let the data kind of tell you this. Because it, I'm Sarah, I'm telling you, the craziest data line still to this year is that the price cut percentages are lower this year than last year. Uh, and, and rates are higher and home prices are higher. So that wasn't on anyone's bingo card, right? I mean, nobody would have thought that wouldn't have made sense to anybody. But that's the reality of the world we're living in. And this is one of the reasons why I try to stress last November 9th that, you know what? Home sales are crashing so much there. We're going to get to 4 million. And people, why is that 4 million number? So I said, we don't usually break under 4 million uh, with any kind of velocity. And here we are, the existing home sales print was 
3.96 million. So we're just kind of hovering here because these home buyers are in a different category than the ones that were buying homes when home sales were above 6 million. Those people are gone. They're not even part of the equation anymore. But this this here is to me like the, the key line. Is it going to be the first time in history where we just have a, a noticeable downtrend kind of below 4 million and it keeps on trending lower? That would really have to be off of affordability or credit getting massively tighter. And, and housing credit really can't get massively tighter because it's all basically 30 or fixed loans. Um, so it, it, I, I am so curious to see how the weekly data is going to look now because uh, we're still living in an environment where inventory is still negative year over year and price cut percentages are negative. And I, to me, I could only explain that with th- these buyer profiles are different than the ones that we were when home sales were higher. Uh, so the velocity of sales falling and price cuts increasing, it's not the same as it was when we were running at six and a half million home sales with 3% mortgage rates. Now it's different, but the same rules apply. I call it, you know, the big three, higher rates, more inventory, weakness in demand. Okay. And then what we do, what we want to see is the how much do price cut percentages increase to sell product? Like the builders have no problem doing this. They they do whatever to move product, but existing homeowners, whole different ballgame here. And that's why we track the weekly data so closely. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, how does Equity Protect prevent deed fraud from occurring? So we've successfully devised a range of methods that harmonize the elements that exist. So certain laws, certain constraints, and customary policies that occur within title companies and the recorder's offices. Our approach combines a multi-factor authentication, very similar to one that you would find if you're logging in and out of your bank account, an authenticated transaction hyperledger layer, and a newly crafted and copyrighted property notice form that we serve as a public security lien. So in essence, our service parallels similar to a credit lock that you would find with your credit bureau. Property owners retain absolute control and they alone are the only authority that can unlock or lock their property to any subsequent transactions. Ryan, thanks for letting us know about that. Listeners, you can find out more information about deed fraud and how to prevent it at equityprotect.com. Okay, Logan, I'm going to ask you something and you're going to want to jump in with your with your standard answer, but I want you to hear the whole my whole reasoning here and then we can talk about it. So I know you don't like Sarah, the idea. Is that, is that how well you know me now? That you know that what you're going to ask me, you have to tell me ahead of time not to jump in yes. right away. Yes, because you're going to think you know what I'm saying, and maybe you do, but I want you to listen to it. So I know you're not a fan of like uh, borrowers on the sidelines. There are these people who have been sidelined. They're they're waiting to jump in. But if you're talking about the fact that we are a million less than what we would normally see in home sales. And we've had a couple, you know, a couple years of this. No one thinks this is going to be solved, you know, really quick. Doesn't that mean that when we when we do see rates come down a little bit, we are going to have like this, you know, number some number of buyers, maybe even a, a couple million number of buyers who have been waiting in the wings on the sidelines to to buy homes, and that's going to help with demand. Did I give you enough time? Can I answer now? Yes. Thank you. Yes. You can <laughs> okay. 
So I, I, of course, I am, I, I've never been a fan of the sideline home buyer, but the sideline home buyer was a marketing gimmick when rates rose or whatever. It was an internal thing that, you know, the media kind of brought into this. What I would say here is that we obviously know there's people wanting to buy homes. That's, that's not, a, that's not a question. Demographics, everything. We're, 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 we're good there. But mortgage rates have gone up so much with home prices going up that you need actually total payments to fall for some people to come in. So uh, not so much of a sideline home buyer, but demand has been repressed because the total cost of housing has been uh, depressed. When that gets better, because home sales are at these very low levels, you can add it an additional five to 700,000 buyers into the pool. How do we know this? We saw this already uh, uh, late last year, early this year. You just get rates down to 6%. You get an increase of sales because we're working from a low bar. Now, I don't think this would work if existing home sales were trending at 5 million, but here at 4 million, it's, it's, it's very workable and we've tested it already. So uh, I, I, I'm not one of these, okay, if rates fall down, where home prices are going up 10%, demand's going to be booming. But I do see in the data that if we got to six, now a lot of people thought we'd have to get to five and a half, five and a half to five percent, but six percent actually gave us more demand because we're working from a low level. So I always like to stress that we had the biggest home sale crash. There's a reason for that, that that's this is a very low bar. Everyone can see what's happening. We're not crashing anymore. We're just kind of stuck around here. We're slowly moving lower. Lower rates will bring more buyers into the pool. I'm not going to create more inventory, but it'll definitely bring more buyers into the pool as more sellers who are buyers will feel more comfortable. This is where rates staying lower, longer, and having more duration makes people, okay, I could list my house. I'm not worried about mortgage rates going up 2%. I don't think that's a functioning housing market. And then you get some more first-time home buyers into the mix. So it's not so much of a sideline home buyer. I just think buyers have been pressed back because total housing costs is so much here. Uh, you can make a case that lower rates bring more demand. We saw that already. That's that's not, I still wouldn't call that sideline home buyers, but in that in this case, it's very plausible. Okay. So here's, here's what we are not going to do. We are not going to get into another thing where I call it sideline home buyers and you call it something else, but we're really talking about the same thing. Excuse me, mortgage rate lockdown comes to mind because we're really talking about the fact that there are a number of people who would have bought, um, you know, under, you know, that want to buy that are really of the right age and household formation, potentially the right um, income level and all that who have, you know. So do you believe in that the seasonality of home buying uh, can get interrupted when rates fall? Yes. Okay. Because you know we we saw that to a degree wasn't massive, but we saw that to a degree uh, last year um, when when rates did did fall. Uh, you know I, I would stress rates falling and staying lower for some time can get more people into the mix. Because what we what we've seen with the new listings data is that what people don't want to do in America is that. Okay, I can buy a house if mortgage rates are 7% or under. You list your homes, you're getting your family ready to move. And then all of a sudden, Powell says something. Oh, wait, he did say something crazy yesterday. Uh, and then all of a sudden, rates go out, jumping up. And then you're like, I don't really want to buy a house at 7.5, 7.8, 7.5. Or I can't buy a house. 
So I think I think one of the things that we've learned with new listings data is that even with three percent mortgage rates, new listings data was trending at all time lows. But here, there's there's a concern of your livelihood of moving your family, and then all of a sudden, you know, if rates jump on you, not be. I mean, you, you this is a whole process, right? You got to tell your kids you're moving, you're going to new school. All these things have to happen, and the volatility of rates has really pushed people to, you know, be a little bit more cautious in listing. But one thing positive so far this year is that new listings data is trending at the lowest levels ever, and it's not taking another new leg lower, no matter how high rates is. I'm hoping that's the case uh, this weekend too. Uh, the seasonality of decline is, is very normal. It's on trend. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're we're finding a, a kind of a forming a bottom here. We don't want this data to take another leg lower because again, sellers are buyers and they're also provide inventory. Those two things going out is is a really net negative for housing. So speaking of volatile mortgage rates, I did want to tell our listeners that we have uh, on housingwire.com a mortgage rate center which tracks rates and now features updated every morning. Um, you have a commentary there of a couple of sentences giving a, an overview of like what happened overnight, what you expect for the day. So people should check there. But I, I did want to come back and ask you about crazy fed talk because you know here we here we thought we had a even a, a modified plan and this the last couple of days have been wild being a fed won't pivot person and seeing what jay powell said yesterday where he talks about you know higher term premiums or you know the notion that well if the bond if bond yields get up then it's really tight restrictive so we might not need to hike anymore it's not it's not in that sense to where you don't need to hike it's more or less i think they're they're they did not want things to get too restrictive to the point to where it might lead to a recession but i do believe in the sense that jay powell actually to me is somewhat frustrated about the labor market and the, the reason i'm going i'm, I'm going to explain this in this fashion the federal reserve told us we're going to have a recession this year, right? They forecasted it. Their own people said this. They they constantly tell us they're surprised about the labor market because they forecasted a recession. If they don't, if they say they, they didn't do this or whatever, they're lying through their teeth. What's occurred right now is that the growth rate of inflation is falling with very strong economic growth and still a tight labor market. And this was never supposed to be able to happen, right? Because they keep on telling us we need below trend growth, below trend growth, below trend growth. So uh, they're trying to thread a needle on, well, short-term rates isn't doing it. I mean, long-term rates can do it, you know? And they could easily change this, right? They're trying to talk the bond market down. It's not really working. They can change everything, you know, to make sure you have a soft landing. They're choosing not to. Because their job in their minds is you have to attack the labor market. And jobless claims this week, the headline number broke under 200,000. So I'm going to say this because I've seen this be talked about. A lot of people in the real estate or mortgage industry are listening to people who say the labor market is not as strong or so. I, guys, I'm telling you, jobless claims data has worked post World War II for a reason. Labor market breaking because the financial benefit of you applying for uh, uh, unemployment benefits forces people to do that. 
So that data line has reversed to the positive, right? And continuing claims has a seasonal cork and that's going to rise. I I understand a lot of people want rates to fall and a lot of people are saying the labor market isn't this good or whatever. I know somebody that lost their job and who cares? Okay. You know, one person, I got 157 million people still working. We have positive job prints still, right? So jobless claims is the final data line that has to crack. And it went the other way. It went, we're broke under 200,000 again. If I sat here and said, jobless claims are under 200,000 in October headline, I would have, I would have not have believed that. So this is why I've tried to get people to focus on jobless claims. Job openings is what the Fed likes to see. But at this stage of the cycle, when labor breaks, jobless claims always breaks. It's never not occurred. It's a 100% perfect correlation. So because you know someone that lost their job and has severance package and is still fine, this doesn't mean the entire labor market is breaking. And I think this is part of what's happened. The US economy has outperformed everyone's expectations. Can this continue in a sense? No, we're not We're not a 4 to 5% GDP country. But it really depends on is inflation going to run mortgage rates or is the labor market? So I'm team labor market. I'm team job openings, 10 million. I'm team, if you've read all my labor economic uh, data articles in the last three years, you can understand why I said the Fed wants to attack the labor market. It's not going to be as easy as people think. But when we break above 323,000 on the four-week moving average, the bond market will act differently. The Fed will act differently. But we're not there and it did the reverse, right? So I've seen this for months. People say, oh, the household for me or whatever, this data line, this line, birthday, birthday race, none of that stuff matters. Okay, so if people are trying to tell you this, it's just not the case. Jobless claims has always been 100% correct. So that has frustrated the Fed. And, uh, you know, being very restrictive, we talked about that in the last podcast, the history of recessions, another 100% case is when when we get so restrictive right here, the recession isn't that far off. But you're going to have to let the last data line get there, and then it'll go. But um, uh, I, I think there is there's still some frustration on the Fed's part because they keep on saying, we're surprised. We're surprised. We're surprised at the labor market. We're surprised. So if you look at it as attacking labor, more labor supply, less wage growth, less spending, the growth rate of inflation will fall. But if they get a job loss recession, that puts another nail into the coffin of the growth rate of inflation. And they feel comfortable with that because they went into this with the 1970s inflation model. So they didn't go into this with the COVID-19 pandemic model because if they did, they'd go, oh my God, the growth rate of inflation is falling. And we have a tight labor market. Oh my God, everything we said about the 1970s was wrong. You think these people are going to admit that? You think they're going to go on TV and go, we were wrong. It really was just a global pandemic, right? And uh, the growth rate of inflation should not be falling because the labor market side. Sarah, we had 5% GDP on the Atlanta Fed and we have jobless claims under 200,000. The Fed messed up here, right? They're trying to cover themselves. This was not supposed to, the growth rate of inflation was not supposed to decline in here. So I think what, what Powell talked about yesterday said, well, bond yields are rising, not because inflation is going up, but you know, term premiums are going up and the economic data is good. 
land the plane. It's okay. We don't blame you for thinking it was the 1970s. All your 1970s, it wasn't. We wouldn't have the growth rate of inflation falling if this was the case. So uh, labor over inflation, they want to attack it. Not how I would do this, of course, but I have to play poker with them. Um, And them trying to talk things down is they don't want to all of a sudden get embarrassed if you know, jobless claims all of a sudden break and they're like, okay, what do we do now? And this is where I'm a little bit more concerned about the Fed now because why they're old and slow. And if jobless claims are breaking, they're going to go, they're going to wait six weeks and they go, well, maybe we'll cut a quarter. That's what I'm more concerned about that, you know, they hiked rates so much so fast and they just didn't want to land the plane that we have, we have, we're really restrictive on everything right here. Right. So if you don't act fast, and that's the whole thing, I'm this is where I'm more concerned about them. They're going to go, well, well, Sarah Wheeler, we, uh, we just want to make sure inflation doesn't recap. So we're just going to cut a quarter percent. Who cares? My God. So uh, quietly, I think in the back of their minds, they're probably hoping that the bond market helps them out here. But if the bond market doesn't help the, the Fed out when things get weaker, we've got a whole different story to talk about when the recession data finally kicks in. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more mindful of that event when we finally cross there. And I'm, I'm hoping the Fed just doesn't do their own old and slow act. And I think that's where the country should be really rallying to pressure the Federal Reserve members that your job is a dual mandate. Right now, you're a single mandate Fed. You just were talking about inflation. But you don't need a job. Like we, how many times have we said this, Sarah? You don't need a job loss recession to to break down inflation, and we've seen this here. Um, but it, it is it is it is a risky, risky threading of the needle that they didn't need to do. And I and I hear the frustration. It's like they hiked rates so much, the growth rate of inflation is falling. Why why is all of a sudden rates going up now? Out of anything, they kicked you guys in the gut. That's what they did, right? Instead of just landing the plane, Neil Kashkari goes on CNBC and smirks. You know what? You know this is this is what it is, right? So uh, I've got a I've got a lot of choice words that I can't say about the Federal Reserve on this one. But to be honest with you, they messed up on this, and they're trying to cover up, right? Because they kept on telling us there's no way inflation could be developed. We have. Growth, the growth rate of Powell said this yesterday. The growth rate has to come down for inflation to come down. Literally three months CPI PCE cores are are trending where they want. They they went with the wrong model. And it's just hopefully myself and a few others are trying to talk to the Fed staffers who are hopefully listening to this. You don't need to do this. Okay. Just land the plane. Let the growth rate of inflation take itself. Um, but You've chosen to take the other path, okay? So when it does happen, don't be slow on the recovery side, right? Don't sit there and say, well, the 1970s inflation took off again. So if we cut rates and I, this is where I'm more worried about the Fed than anything is their response when the labor market breaks. We're not there yet, but eventually when it happens, we'll see how it goes. And that's where the long-term bond yields I think they're bank. They're hoping that long-term yields go down by itself uh, uh, to make sure that they don't cut as aggressively. So that's you're playing poker with people's lives 
or rolling the dice. And uh, that's going to be a very, very interesting topic uh, when that day occurs, but we're not there yet. This is why I always try to get people to focus on jobless claims data more than anything else. Logan, thank you so much for those insights. Thanks for talking about home prices and mortgage rates, the Fed, um, even sideline buyers, uh, despite despite your distaste for the term. So um, we will talk again later in a couple of days. And by then, we'll know what the inventory situation is over the weekend with Altos data. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.